going to um, we're going to start with a little bit of crowd participation, which, as I've said, um, might uh, might stretch us technically, but we'll uh, we'll try it. So this involves you guys as well, all right? Um, so the conditions are that uh, you're not allowed to look at your Bible, you're not allowed to go off and check Uncle Google or anything. Um, this is purely purely off the top of your head. Um, and, and I guess that's, that's the, point. <laughs> um, that's the point is that I'm looking for the things that, that most quickly occur to us, alright? Now, for those of you, we might, Ava, can you just unmute? For a moment, we're gonna have a little bit of chaos, alright? So we're gonna unmute everyone, apart from you who muted yourselves. All participants are unmuted. So, um, it's not, it's not a particular race, but I wondered whether, and I'm going to take some notes here for my future reference. I'm looking for some participation about what are the Ten Commandments that most quickly occur to us. Thou shalt not kill, number one. All right. So Kat, Kat had hers. What, what was one on board? Gail and Nigel, I saw you guys light up. What was that? Honour thy father and thy mother. From, from a father and... From a father and mother, no doubt. Alright. No worries. Um, so, so, Gail and Nigel, you guys are done, so you can, you can mute now. You're not allowed to take any further part. Edna said one. Edna, what was yours? Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. Beautiful. Alright. Thank you, Edna. You're done as well now. You're no longer allowed to take part. What are the others? Honour your mother and father. Honour your mother and father. We've already had Shay. Shay, sorry. It's funny. It's funny. All of the parents are going for honour their father and their mother. But, uh, uh, don't defile the Sabbath. Don't observe the Sabbath. Shall we have observed the Sabbath? All right. Number four. Observe. Yep. Yep. Mark and Michelle. Sorry, you guys are now no longer eligible. Tina and David, you guys lit up. Love the Lord thy God. Love the Lord thy God. Right, alright, an important distinction. Alright, thanks Dave. So, no other gods before me. Adultery. Adultery, alright. Thou shalt not commit adultery, number six, alright. Daryl, what was yours? Bear false witness, thou shalt not lie effectively, nor bear false witness. So, yep, yep. Thou shalt no. <laughs> Did you get fed that? <laughs> no? <laughs> oh, right. Well, that, uh, that's good. Yeah. Alright. Um, we've got, I'm, I'm being told I need to settle down and calm the decibels down a bit. I forget that this, this microphone's actually much better. Much better than it used to be. We, uh, we used to, we, oh, Jim and Nancy have got one. Not covet thy neighbours, whatever. We've had thou shalt not covet. <laughs> we have had thou shalt not covet. Um, Jim and Nancy, to use your formal titles. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you've covered all the ones that I've covered. Yeah. Alright. Hey? No, best, bear, bear false witness. Renee kind of touched on one. Sorry, yeah. Sorry, what was that? Not building Yeah, okay. Yeah, it is. So there's no other gods and then there's no graven images, which which um, some organisations 
seem to have omitted uh, from their their listing of the Ten Commandments. But yes, that that is one. So we've got we've got one other one. Good one, but we'll get there. Yes. <laughs> number number one, thou shalt not kill. We've had killing. We're missing one. <laughs> Alright, well, to, to be honest, the last one's a bit of a toughie. Well, Ava, Ava kind of put that one up, and we're going to look at that in a second. That's sort of where we're heading a bit with this. But we've, uh, we've forgot where, yeah, Dave? The name of the Lord in vain, for those of you who couldn't hear. So thou shalt not take the Lord, the, the Lord's name in vain. Number, well, that was number 10 in our order. Alright. Fantastic. Now, now we're going to put everyone back on mute so I can continue and I'll stop shouting. Alright. I keep getting told. I'm going to stop shouting. Alright. We might turn to Matthew chapter 22 for those of you who've, who've got a Bible. We, uh, we tend to, we tend to read from the King James Bible. We, we believe that, uh, based on looking into various versions of the Bible, that the King James Version is, it's definitely not perfect by any means, but it's, uh, it's probably one of the much, much, much better ones compared to some that are out there. So we tend to, as, as much as it's got some fairly complicated old English language in it, um, it's probably a fairly fair representation of what's, uh, what we were, what, what we're supposed to get out of the word, as opposed to what somebody else thinks we should get out of the word, which unfortunately a lot of the translations are. So, I guess part of my, uh, part of my exercise this morning, I didn't do any exercise at all this morning, <laughs> but part of the exercise we all just completed this morning, um, was that, um, I, I just wondered which are the ones that sprung to mind most readily. And, uh, and number one was was no surprise. Um, number one was thou shalt not kill. <laughs> that was the one that sort of boom straight out of the gates. Everyone that was top of mind, and I and I guess that was important. Uh, number two was interesting. Honor thy father and thy mother. That was the next one that came along. And then we had thou shalt not steal, which was uh, another one, uh, another sort of uh, right up there with those sort of obvious, you know, don't kill, don't steal. Um, and then we went to uh, observe the Sabbath, which which I thought was good. I think think, that, think Mark came out of the blocks with uh, with observing the Sabbath. Um, we're just about to be joined by Jackson. Um, but uh, so so we're we're up to so that was uh, the order was number four was observe the Sabbath, and then we had uh, no other gods before me, which I thought was pretty like that was surprisingly high on the list as far as being mentioned early. Um, and then we then we got to thou shalt not commit adultery, which was uh, that, down at number six. Now that one was a little bit further down the line than I than I expected. Uh, number seven, not bear false witness or not lie, right? Uh, number eight, then we got to thou shalt not covet. Number nine was no graven images or idols, and and the reason I think that was number nine is because a lot of people when they're taught the Ten Commandments have been taught as I said, the Catholic version of the Ten Commandments, which interestingly doesn't include no graven images. They sort of hide that one in under number one and then and then they, they, they break break one of the other apart. I don't know if it's honour thy father and thy mother or something. Or maybe that's the way they get to it. I don't know. But um, but uh, 
it's, it's the last one, is it? The thou shalt not cover. They, uh, they break that one up. All right. Um, and then we moved on to number 10, which took a little while, actually, which is probably lucky that we're not all living by the Ten Commandments if we have to think about them for that long. But number 10 was do not take the Lord's name in vain, which, uh, which was, yeah, that was, uh, that was sort of rounding out the, the, the 10. We're in Matthew chapter 22, and for those of you who have the, 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 the words of Christ in red, you'll see that around this neighbourhood, there's a fair bit of Jesus Christ talking. And the reason there's a fair bit of Jesus Christ talking is because there's a whole bunch of people who want to get stuck into him. You know, they want to, they want to sort of uh, test him and, and, um, uh, we see here in, uh, in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 22, it says, then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And, and so they sort of laid this, laid this trap for him about the tribute and the, you know, wh- whether you should pay taxes or not. And, and I'm sure that there's been, been many others who've sort of tried to, uh, present that down through time as a bit of a, an argument against obeying the laws of the land or anything. And Jesus, as we know, answered that question about taxes perfectly. He said, the things that are of this life belong to this life and we should honour them. The things that are of the Lord belong to the Lord and we should honour the Lord. That was effectively what he said. Um, there, there we see here uh, in verse 22, so Matthew chapter 22, verse 22, when they had heard these words, they marvelled and left him and went their way. And the same day, came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, so they've, let, they've now laid a bit of a trap for him. You know, we, we don't reckon there's any resurrection, and, and, and you reckon there is a resurrection. Well, we've got a tricky question for you. What happens when a guy who's married dies, who's had seven wives, and, and, and who have... Sorry, it's the, I think it's actually the wife who has seven husbands. Uh, and, and what happens then? Like, who's going to be her husband? And once again... Jesus answers perfectly, saying, "You don't even you don't even know what you're talking about." Um, basically, that was his answer. Um, uh, in verse 33, and when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Uh, to me, in my mind, I see a little Pharisee huddle off to the side. They're like, "Did you hear that? He 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 rounded the Sadducees up. Well, we need to get in and sort him out because because." They're rookies, and we can do better than, than they are. And so they sent out one of their big guns. It says they were gathered together, and then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, being a lawyer, he wasn't actually a, a lawyer as in, you know, like a modern-day barrister. He was probably more of a lawyer as in he was, he was a, a scholar of the Mosaic law, of the law of Moses, you know, the um, Leviticus and Deuteronomy and bits and pieces like that was what his specialty was. And so here he was, he was saying, what do you reckon is the greatest commandment? Now, for us, when we hear the commandments, the first thing we generally think of is the Ten Commandments. And it was interesting that when I when I asked what do people think are the Ten Commandments, the first one right out of the block, bang, was thou shalt not kill. You know, like that was... That was right at the top. And, uh, and, and I guess it, it, it strikes me that there are, as we look through the commandments, seven of them relate to, relate to, oh, seven of them relate to, um, deeds. Things you do, right? So there's, uh, um, 
graven images, which is which is something you have to make, you know. So that's an act. You you make graven images. Taking the Lord's name in vain. That's that's an act. That's a deed. You speak something out loud. Observing the Sabbath is uh, once again it's a deed. You if you go out and work on a on the Sabbath, then you you're not obeying the uh, the the law. So it's a deed. Thou shalt not kill. Obviously, that's a deed. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal, not bear false witness or lie. All of these things are deeds. So the, the, those seven of them are all related to actions. But there's three of them that that I thought we would have maybe taken a little bit longer to get to because they don't actually relate to deeds. People tend to think about the, the, the Ten Commandments relating to deeds, modifying your actions. But there's three of them that relate to attitudes. They're not actions, they're attitudes. And uh, and they came in at number two, oddly enough. <laughs> number five, just to throw, blow my theory right out the water, they came in at number two, uh, number five, and number eight in our list of suggestions. So when we were putting the Ten Commandments together, that was the order those three arrived in. Honour thy father and thy mother, coming from Gail and Nigel and every other parent in the room. Maybe it wasn't quite so surprising, but that's an attitude. Right? It's, a, it's not necessarily about the way you act. It's something which is going on inside your heart to honour your father and your mother. Number five, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's actually commandment number one in, in the list that Moses got. But for us, we, we were halfway down the list before we got to that one. And that one is definitely an attitude one. No other gods before me is about what's going on in your heart. Purely and simply, it's about what's going on in your heart. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And then number eight, we finally got there in the end, thou shalt not cover. And it was all, in, in, in the Ten Commandments, there's a great long list of things that we shouldn't cover. But the point is, don't let that get at your heart. Don't let it get to the point where you're continually wanting all the stuff that someone else has got. That's an attitude of the heart. So, like I said, there's a, there's a, a seven three split. In, in, in the commandments related to actions and attitudes. And for me, when I thought about the Ten Commandments, I have to admit, it was all the actions that came to mind first. You know, those were the ones that struck me as being the commandments. But it took me a while longer to, as I was sorting through things to remember the attitude ones. They're a bit harder to cotton onto. But here we see Jesus Christ is being tricked or attempting, they're attempting to trick Jesus. And, and they're saying to him, which is the great commandment of the law? And, and he, you know, they were sort of hoping to hang him up on, you know, thou shalt not murder or something. But we see here, Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now, if you go looking for thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind and soul, it's not in the first ten commandments that Moses got delivered. It doesn't show up. And yet Jesus says this is the first and great commandment. It's actually, you don't find it until you get through right through to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and in verse 5 is where you'll find that wording of a commandment. So Jesus went way off script. You know, as far as what the, as far as what the, uh, the Pharisees were, were attempting to sort of hang him up on, Jesus went way off script and said, commandments? Let's talk about commandments. This is, Jesus is like, this is my home ground, boys. 
let's let's play. And uh, and he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Brother Dave gave a great talk a little while ago about the second is like unto it. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, the loving thy neighbour as thyself, that doesn't figure anywhere in the Ten Commandments either. You can read through the Ten Commandments as much as you like. You can try and pull them apart and work out which one it is. It might be related a little bit to coveting, maybe not committing adultery with your neighbour's wife and all that sort of stuff. But this one here actually doesn't crop up until Leviticus chapter 19. Like if you're going looking through the commandments, you have to wade through an awful lot of the commandments to get to the point where you'll find this one. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. And then Jesus says, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So my question is, are these attitude commandments or are these action commandments? Jesus, when he was challenged about the great commandments, he went straight to the attitude. Because Jesus Christ came to tell us the difference between action and attitude and the difference of the effects of action and attitude. And we see right here, right out of the gates, Jesus Christ is saying, if you want to get your actions right, if you want to, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, all of the action commandments, they all hang on a couple of the attitude commandments. And guess what? They're not even the ones you think they are. He went off script and delved into Deuteronomy and, and Leviticus to drag out these two commandments, which he then said are the most important ones. And uh, and while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what think you of Christ? So he went and tied them up in knots after this, and, and they kind of, after that, we see uh, in verse 46, and no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst ask any man, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. They kind of went, hmm, we're not winning this one. And, uh, and because they didn't actually realize who they were really dealing with. While we're, uh, while we're talking about commandments, let's turn over to Romans chapter 13. Now, Romans, as many of you will be aware, was a, was a letter. Um, the old fashioned word is an epistle. Um, the Romans was a letter to the church in Rome and uh, we see here in Romans chapter 13 and we're going to start reading in uh, verse 9 For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet and if there be any other commandment it is briefly comprehended in this saying namely Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. Now, Jesus, uh, sorry, Paul here is saying all of those action commandments, they are briefly comprehended or, or briefly summed up in this one law, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. Verse 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So here were here was a bunch of people who who Paul was writing to, and he was saying, "You guys are getting all all tied up in these same sorts of questions." And if you go back through the start of chapter thirteen here, Paul actually almost you know he almost sort of paraphrases Jesus in verse seven. He talks about 
render therefore all to their Jews, tribute to whom tribute is due. That was Jesus' line, you know, render, render unto Caesar the things which Caesar. So I, I believe, you know, Paul probably knew very well about these discussions. And Paul, having been a Pharisee, he may have actually been first-hand involved in these discussions perhaps with Jesus. That's totally a supposition, but it might be interesting because he lays out here the exact pattern of the same conversation that Jesus Christ had with the Pharisees and he comes to the same, he comes to the same conclusion. All of those action commandments, they are all summed up in an attitude commandment, which is love worketh no ill to his neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So we've got this sort of duality of action and attitude. And, and it would seem that a fair proportion of the Old Testament emphasis is on action. Seven out of ten of those commandments dealt with stuff you did or had already done. Three, only three out of them dealt with your attitudes towards the Lord and whatnot. Whereas when we get to the New Testament, Jesus says, hold on a minute. All of those, all of that action stuff is actually all tied up in attitude. And if the attitude's right, then the actions won't follow. And so Jesus drew our attention to the fact that there was something better than the law. There was something which related to you, you and your God alone, and it wasn't, wasn't related to your actions except for the fact that it would obviously shape your actions. Uh, sorry, if you're, if you're studying aviation, there's, uh, there's three planes of movement. Planes? Yeah, I don't know. Three, 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 uh, three planes. Yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, so there's, uh, there's pitch, yaw, and roll. So pitch is, is, is that way if a plane's flying, let's, plane's flying along that way. I'll do my actions so people can see. Plane's flying along that. Pitch is up and down. Yaw is pointing left to right, and roll is where the plane's rolling like that, right? I think everyone's got that. Want me to do the actions again? No, we're right. All right. Um, another word for pitch, in fact, the technical word for pitch is attitude. So the attitude of, of the plane, and in fact, it, it actually, you know, is, is if you're being formal about it, that is the correct for what we call pitch. Now, a uh, friend of Ballarat, the inimitable Lee Finney, for those of you who know Lee Finney, once, uh, once sent me a message and he said, attitude determines altitude. And, and from an aviation point of view, spot on. If your attitude is, I love Zoom. <laughs> if your attitude is heading downwards, if your attitude is, upset, is, is set upon things of the earth, then that will determine your altitude. You will actually end up heading in the direction of your attitude. But if your attitude is pitched up, is looking up towards the promises of the Lord, towards, towards the, uh, the commandments that Jesus gave us about loving, loving the Lord thy God and loving our neighbour, then our attitude will determine our altitude, our altitude, altitude, thank you. Um, our attitude will determine our altitude and, uh, and ultimately it will permanently determine our altitude, altitude. <laughs> uh, I'm going to move on. That, I thought that was a really good illustration, but I've completely butchered it. Um, <laughs> so, so if that's the case, why is it that the Lord didn't just 
hardwire us to have a perfect attitude all the time. Like if it's the attitude that determines our actions and if, or, or, or our altitude, right? If it's though, if it's our attitude that determines that, why didn't the Lord just hardwire us to have a good attitude? Because ultimately that would, that would then, you know, why do we have to end up in this situation to be, to be flawed? Why, why do we have to have this capacity to fail? Why is it that we can end up with a bad attitude sometimes? Why couldn't the Lord just orchestrate us so that we had a good attitude? Well, it's an interesting philosophical point. I don't want to get tied up in philosophy. That's not what we're here for. We're here for the, the word and the truth of the word. But true choice requires alternatives. And if there's no alternatives, there is no choice. And so for the Lord to give us the gift of a free will choice, which is something that as human beings we have all been given. We have been given a free will choice. But that choice requires that there be alternatives to choose between. Now the Lord's plan for each of us is that we would exercise our attitude in a good direction. But it's up to us. It's entirely up to us. And that is a function of the fact that we actually have a free will choice. And that's a gift from the Lord. It also means that we can abuse that gift and exercise the free will choice in a direction which is not great. And unfortunately, there are many, many damaged lives as a result of people who have exercised their free will choice at the expense of others. And in fact, a fair bit of the world's turmoil at the moment, if you look at the political stage or, or even, you know, the, the, what it, you know, whatever the chaos is that's going on in the world, a lot of it is related to people who are exercising their free will choice in directions that are not great. But that's not God's problem. That's not God's fault. And unfortunately, people sometimes blame God for the fact that people exercise their free will choice in a bad direction. Let's turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Once again, another, another letter here. There was two letters written to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Now, the, the church at Corinth was in a great deal of trouble at the time. There was all sorts of things going wrong. They... Uh, They'd lost the plot on a whole bunch of things. Morals, they'd lost the plot on uh, observation of communion, what communion actually genuinely meant. They'd lost the plot on operating the spiritual gifts within the meeting. And if you're an observer here today, you'll, you'll hear the spiritual gifts operated within this meeting. Um, but the Corinthian church had lost the plot on a lot of things. And for us, praise the Lord, they did, because we now know how we're supposed to run a meeting. Because uh, Paul set them straight. The Apostle Paul, he was, uh, he was like, let's get a few things sorted out. Now, we're, t- we're reading here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're reading about the process of communion. And many people are familiar with, you know, the communion process, the bread and the, the wine or the, the fruit of the vine, the grape juice. Um, we're familiar with that idea of having, you know, the, the bread and the grape juice. But there's actually some pretty hard scriptures that Paul included. With, uh, with that, um, so he goes through the process in, in, uh, verses sort of 23 onwards, but we see here in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. 
Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Wowzers! Where did that come from? Paul, Paul has just sort of grabbed this whole load of, you know, guilt and loaded it on whoever's shoulders it is who, who eats and drinks the bread unworthily. Or has he? I want us to look at this scripture from a slightly different angle. Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, none of us are worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There is not one single one of us who can stand up and say, by my efforts, I have qualified for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to expunge all my sin. I've earned it. None of us can say that. So it follows that there is not one single one of us who can worthily, if you like, of our of ourselves, there's not one single one of us who can worthily partake of that bread and cup. We can't on our own. We just can't do it. So we're all unworthy. It's got must have something to do with how we view our unworthiness. Now there will be some who perhaps get to communion time and think, I'm actually pretty good. I uh, I haven't done anything wrong ever. So uh, I'll stand here and I will worthily take this. Unfortunately, that's the exact opposite. They have, by that attitude, made themselves entirely unworthy of the body and blood and therefore they remain guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Because Jesus came to set the captive free. Those of us who are captive to sin, Jesus came to set free. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. Those of us who are brokenhearted, Jesus came to heal us. If we're saying we don't need any of that, then we become unworthy and we become still guilty of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 28, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Wow! There, and there it is again. If we If we misunderstand this, then it means we're going to end up in a position where we're not understanding what it means to be worthy. We're not worthy by our own actions. And in fact, it's our attitude that makes us worthy. So the actions and attitude are incredibly important in this process because if your attitude is wrong, then your actions still count against you and you're not forgiven and you are entirely unworthy. And we show our attitude to the Lord by our actions. By the actions of being baptised. That's a great way to show the Lord that we acknowledge our position of sin. We want to bury our old life. That's how we become worthy to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Um... Now, we're talking a lot about attitudes and actions. I'm running very short of time. All right. Um, I'm just going to read it quickly for the sake of time. In Romans chapter 8, verse 13, for those of you taking notes, it says, For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Let's... 
quickly, very, very quickly pull this apart. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. It's very easy to get this verse back to front and think that, all right, once I've done some evil deeds, then I can mortify them by the Spirit. That's not what this scripture is getting at. This scripture is saying, if you through the Spirit have your attitude maintained by the Holy Spirit, then your actions will follow that and your deeds won't be evil anymore. You will have killed off the deeds before they started. You will, you will be in a position where you, if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. You're going to be, if you're walking in the Spirit, you're going to be gravitating towards the Lord's plan and the Lord's actions in your life. And that will kill off your natural actions. That will kill off your natural deeds. And the only way to do that is to be walking, built up in the Holy Spirit, praying in his word every day. It's no point having gone and murdered someone to then go, all right, Lord, I'm going to use my Holy, your Holy Spirit to, to murder that deed now or mortify that deed of murder now. The Lord says, no, that's not it at all. Wrong. If you're walking in the Spirit, you're not going to murder anyone to start off with. Right, and therefore you put that deed to death before it even occurred. If you do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live, and that's how we're able to live in uh, in as unto the Lord. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's in Romans eight. For those of you who like to look into that a little bit more later. But how are we freed from the deeds once they're done? There will be things we we will have deeds whereby we've fallen short. And the Lord calls that sin. How, how do we deal with the sin? Like, let's say we haven't been walking in the Spirit for some reason, we've fallen short. What happens next? Let's turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Once again, this is a uh, the, the second part of this same letter to um, to the Corinthians. The great thing was they really sorted themselves out. When, when they read Paul's words, they were like, right, we've got to do this right. I'm very dark, isn't it? Um, we've got to do this right. So they did. They, did. they sorted themselves out. And, uh, and we see here that Paul was congratulating them for having sorted themselves out. And we read here in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and in verse 9, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry. He said, I didn't enjoy making you guys feel bad. That, that's not the bit I'm rejoicing about. He says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. There's a central concept here which relates to an attitude. And it talks here about, I, I'm glad that you sorrowed to repentance. So God has made a way for, for deeds to be dealt with, for actions to be dealt with, but guess what? It's by an attitude. It's having the right attitude. And, I, and I'm sure if we had much more time, we could go into the story of David, which is a, not that David, King David in the Old Testament, which is a classic. It, it's a classic example of actions, <laughs> actions demonstrating a poor attitude. 
And then, and then once, the, once the actions were fulfilled, the attitude had to be adjusted, and then the attitude was adjusted. And, and, and as, as many people have said, King David was a good repenter. You know, that, he might have done some really dumb stuff. Really dumb stuff. But he was a really good repenter. And the Lord honoured the attitude. And in fact, so much so that in Hebrews we can read that, that David was a Lord after the man's own heart. A guy who was technically an, uh, technically, did I? A Lord after, no, a man after the Lord's own heart. Thank you to my editors here in the crowd. Thank you. Um, David was a man after the Lord's own heart. Let's, let's get that around the right way. So, actions are relevant to attitudes. In the attitudes drive your actions and your attitude will determine what your actions are. Your altitudes, right? Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wind up. I've got so much more to say, but I'm gonna wind up. Ephesians chapter 2. In a minute, I'm going to hand back over to Brother Ben, who's going to uh, take us through the communion service, and and I guess I want you to be aware of the things we've just discussed. That um, that the the attitude that we come to the Lord with during the time of communion is not an attitude of self righteousness. It's not that we stand here having been made holy by our own adi- by our own actions. That's impossible. What it is is that we stand here having been made holy by our repentant attitude and God's response to our repentant attitude, which is the enlivening of the Holy Spirit within us. We're we're in Ephesians chapter 2 now, talking about the enlivening of the Holy Spirit. Verse 1, And you hath he quickened or made alive, and you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The spirit or the personality or the attitude, if you like, that now works in the children of disobedience. Among whom, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, fulfilling actions, right? Carrying out the desires of the flesh and fulfilling those actions, um, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Not just the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the mind get wound up in this as well. And what does, what's, what are the deeds of the mind? They are your attitudes. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So Paul here in this letter to the church at Ephesus is saying, guys, you guys have been made alive after, after that you were dead by the Holy Spirit which has enlivened you, it's quickened you, and you now are able to rise above being the children of wrath. And we see here, but God, in verse 4, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and uh, skipping down into verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not of works, not of actions, because it doesn't matter how good your actions are, and it also, quite comfortingly, doesn't matter how bad your actions are. 
not of works. Our, our, our state of salvation is not determined by our actions, good or bad. It's determined by one thing alone, our attitude. And when we're walking in the attitude that the Holy Spirit allows us to walk in, then we don't fulfil the actions of the flesh. We are able to stand holy before the Lord and even if we're not, then that by grace are we saved, the Lord leads us to repentance, which is an attitude. The title for today's talk, I don't think I've mentioned that at the start, was Actions and Attitudes. Right? Fairly obviously. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We are in a position, and uh, and I, I was, uh, actually I think, I think, yeah, Bo's still on here. Bo and I were talking about this just the other day. We were talking about how salvation is a contract. And part of it is our action and our attitude. And part of it is the Lord's action and his attitude. And his attitude is one towards us of love. And we can read that time and time again throughout the scriptures. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants every single man, woman and child on the face of the earth, if possible, to turn to him with a correct attitude. And as soon as he, as soon as they do, he's willing to perform an action for them, which is he'll fill you with his Holy Spirit, with the Bible evidence of speaking in tongues, as we've heard from David and others who've testified today. People read these scriptures, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And they go, oh, it's all of God. There's nothing I can do. That's not true. The same word of God also tells us that we must be born again of water and the Spirit. We require an action, but the action must be motivated by the correct attitude. When we go through the waters of baptism with the correct repentant attitude, the Lord honours that, and sometimes it might be that he wants to shape our lives up a bit. And as we heard from Brother David to start off with in his testimony, it was a little while after he got baptised that he received the Holy Spirit. The Lord wanted him to get a few things sort of shaped up, heading in the right direction. But we know the Lord filled him with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues after that. So, attitudes and actions. We rely on both to stand before the Lord, but only one's going to count. And that's our attitude. And all the people said...